Everybody all right tonight? Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's stand up. Let's get started. Springs of Living Water is where we'll start tonight. Oh, yeah. 
Thank you, Mr. Jason. Good to have everybody here this evening. Good to have Robert back with us, feeling much better. Good to have Miss Andrea back with us, feeling better. Uh, this morning we had uh, Carol McLaughlin Lucas back with us after her shoulder surgery. She's doing much better. Uh, so we praise the Lord for those things. Chuck uh, Maurer got his heart cast done yesterday, had 30% blockage in one artery, and they said, we're just going to leave it alone. So no stent, no uh, bypass, and they sent him home. So we praise the Lord for that. Um, you probably already heard on the prayer chain, if you didn't, that uh, Andy and Jean's daughter-in-law down in Florida had surgery. They were able to remove that tumor. It was wrapped around a, a uh, nerve. They don't believe there's any cancer or anything like that, so that's they're looking forward to a full recovery there. Andy's brother, Ray, passed away in Michigan uh, over the weekend, and so I haven't heard any details about that. Anybody heard any details about Thelma Fry? Funeral Saturday. So for those of you who know Thelma Fry, she didn't come to church here. She's been to a few of our things uh, over the years, but she's from Suburban, so uh, pray for them. Um, let's see, there was somebody else. Uh, Kelly Glass, Donna's husband. That surgery went well. They put in a colostomy bag, and uh, he'll he'll have that for the rest of his life. But... Um, but it went well and did what they needed it to do, so that was encouraging. Now, that should free things up for them to go in and remove. There's a tumor that is benign, but it is growing. I don't know how that works. I guess they have to grow, right? They get there some way anyway. There's a benign tumor. It's not cancer, but it's wrapping itself around a nerve, and he is a, he will lose the use, complete use of his right leg if they don't get this taken care of. Uh, he's already been crippled by it, so to speak, so he's using a walker or a wheelchair now. Uh, but they can't get in there, so they need to get in there and get that done, so pray for that, uh, and hopefully that'll free up a lot of things for him. Uh, there's a man named Tim, um, who I'm going to meet with on Friday uh, in, in uh, this year, in a three-month period of time, this last year. Uh, he lost his dad, then his daughter was murdered, then his wife passed away, and uh, he's just struggling. He needs the Lord, and uh, so I'm supposed to meet with him on Friday, so pray that um, we'll be able to uh, share the gospel with him, and it'll be something that uh, he'll be ready for. Robert? He mentioned that you had called, and that thrilled him to death, so he was Good. Yeah. He's in the hospital for another day or so, so if you're going to go, it's probably going to be tomorrow, probably, or maybe Friday, um, just so you know. So anybody else have something you want to share right now, Brad? Still needs a job. and So they, they came to church here for a short time while they were in between jobs, so you might remember them. And he went uh, down working for Bob Jones, and he's now uh, in need of a job. So pray for Steve and his family there. Praise the Lord. Okay, so they're stabilized, and they're going to reduce the chemo. So 
not remission or anything like that, but just I mean that's that's a that's a big that's a big step for pancreatic cancer too. Anybody else? Levi, yes, thank you. I knew there's somebody else. So uh, Levi, the Smith's grandson, he's 11, and uh, he's been having trouble breathing, coughing so hard that it's making him sick. And they uh, took him to the ER just a little bit ago. His oxygen level's down to 86. Uh, he does not have COVID, according to them. They're gonna. They they thought his lungs sounded clear. We're assuming now that he's in the ER, they'll go ahead and do an X-ray. They can't figure out. So this has been going on for several days now, and so uh, pray for. Levi. Samuel's the older one if you're trying to figure out which one's Levi and Samuel. Samuel's the, the older one. So. Else? Let's pray. Father, it is our joy and privilege to be here and to encourage one another and lift one another up and to thank you that uh, Doc is able to be here tonight and Brian, Robert's able to be here tonight and Miss Andrea. Just watch over all of them and continue to heal them up. Be a Chuck be with Carol, others, as Kelly, as they've gone through things, you just uh, strengthen their bodies and work in hearts and uh, draw people to your side through these things. We pray that you'd be at Levi right now in the ER, that you would give the doctors wisdom there and figure out just what's going on with his health. Be with our teenagers, our college group, our young people, young kids as they're uh, meeting throughout the buildings, that you would just uh, uh, use your word to accomplish a great work in lives there. Help us to grow in your grace together, and we'll thank and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to pull your attention right back over there, so uh, two or three weeks ago I mentioned that I was looking for a, uh, a, you know, a timeline that I could put on a slide. This is why I can't find a timeline to put on a slide. But somebody, somebody said, hey, Pastor, I got you a timeline. And so there it is. If you're trying to figure it out, it starts up here at the top, and it kind of works its way all the way around, and as it comes back over to the left-hand side, that's modern day over here. So it starts at creation and works through all of that time. Uh, you might need a microscope. No, not quite, but may, may need a magnifying glass anyway to, view, to read some of the notes that are on there. You know, they're trying to put that. This is why it was really difficult finding a slide there's no way I could do that. So somebody brought in a book and uh, said, hey, here's a book, Pastor, and it's true, but even each page of the book would be more complicated to put on a slide. It just wasn't working uh, slide-wise. But it is an interesting thing, so you can stop and take a look at it. We'll put it up on Wednesdays while we're kind of working ourselves through this, spanning the Testaments, looking at Old and New Testament uh, characters. Do I have, there it is, never mind, uh, the gadget. So uh, we're going to, I forgot to go in, I was going to do this today. I've got these slides, a couple of them are out of order. I apologize for that right up front, right off the bat, but we'll survive it. All right, so we kind of uh, looked last week at Abraham and Lot. Well, here we have, we, there was one passage of Scripture in the New Testament we did not get to Lot about, and, uh, and this is Noah and Lot. It actually puts Noah and Lot together in this passage of Scripture. Uh, so let's take a look at Second Peter chapter 2. Uh, you can, you know, you don't need have to write any of these things down. If you want copies of things, just ask me. We can make sure you get them. Uh, or you can just write down the passage, right? Second Peter chapter 2, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them unto the cha- unto chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, 
uh, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot. So God's taken us from the, the flood to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Lot right there together. So I, that's why I put Lot and Noah together here uh, as we're looking at them. And delivered, but there's some interesting phrases about Lot. And we want to slow down as we get to these. This is God describing Lot. Uh, most of us, I want you to stop and think about this. Knowing Baptist preachers like you do, maybe you don't know Baptist preachers that well, but you know this one anyway. Knowing Baptist preachers, if this passage were not given to us in the New Testament, can you imagine what our view of Lot would be? Have you ever thought about that? Would any of us in our wildest dreams thought of describing Lot the way God describes Lot? It says, and delivered just Lot. Now, it doesn't mean like the only Lot. He's saying he delivered a, a just, a righteous, and I'll prove that to you, go on, vexed with the filthy, con- I'm sorry, uh, just like, yeah, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that, look what it says, righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Can you imagine a Baptist preacher coming to that conclusion about Lot if God hadn't told us? to come to that conclusion about Lot. We would have ripped Lot to shreds, right? I mean, think about this. Um, it, it is what it is, but God, man looks on the outside, right? But God ponders the heart. Uh, and that is an in, interesting thing to be noticed here. In fact, um, many of us can remember a time where uh, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were so egregious to us, and they are. They're egregious to us, and they're egregious to God, but they were so egregious to us that, quite honestly, we were willing to let people die without the gospel because of it. In fact, I have heard it on more than one occasion preached from Romans chapter 1, to one chapter 1, yeah, Romans chapter 1, that Once someone had crossed that line, there was no hope. Here's what Romans 1 says. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Right? That's what Romans 1 says. But if you read Romans 1, it's spoken that way three different times. And it's not always about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says God gave them over. God gave them over three times in the book of Romans chapter 1. That God gave people over. All God's saying there is that I'm not going to get in the way. If you want to be stupid, pay the consequences of stupid. You know, he, he will let people make bad decisions and, and suffer the consequences. But, you know, I just wonder what we would have done if God hadn't declared to us that Lot was just and righteous. Wow. Now, in reading in Genesis... 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, right? Right in that area where Lot and Abraham separate. Lot moves toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And then, of course, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Most of us would come to a very clear conclusion that Lot was not living the way he ought. That's, it is true. But it's also true that salvation is of the Lord and not of us. And when God saves us, 
he's the one that keeps us. And what a wonderful thought that is. So I just wanted to make sure that we understood this uh, concept that God gives us about Lot. But don't miss the thing that's important. It says, there in the middle of all of that, and delivered just Lot, and then look at what the next line says. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, the reality is, this ought to be the way we're all responding to the world around us, right? Sin ought to vex us. And it does get a little concerning when sin doesn't vex us, right? That's a little concerning, because even Lot, who's moving away from God in this scenario, is vexed. Even Lot is vexed uh, by this. He's vexed with the filthy conversation of the, the way of life uh, of the wicked, uh, for it goes on to say, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Uh, this is where it gets really difficult. So, what do we learn from that? What do you think we ought to learn from this? What, what should we learn then from the, this example of Lot? if his soul is being vexed by living among them, seeing and hearing uh, their unrighteousness from day to day. Are we supposed to remove ourselves from this world? I mean, the reality is we're supposed to be here to be a witness, right? That's what we're supposed to do, so it's a challenge. So what do we learn from it? Go ahead, Will. Right, yep. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, let's be honest. Sodom and Gomorrah is not that different from a lot of your workplaces today, right? So what do you do? How do you, what do you do? What, what, what do we learn from this? This is an important thing to learn. Okay.
So listen up. So there's a difference between between being vexed by the sin that that uh, you're surrounded by and participating. And Lot had crossed that line. Remember, he's sitting in the gates, and he wasn't necessarily a participant in the sexual side of this. I'm not suggesting that, but he was a participant in the, in the he was a, uh, you know, what's the word that I'm looking for? Paving the way for it to happen, you know, so. Right, he lost his family, and, and um, but here's what I would, here's my take on this. This is why this is so important. Because you've been vexed all week long, and you need a refreshment to your spirit. And it doesn't happen really well outside of the hearing of God's word, the influence of God's people, coming in, being encouraged, iron sharpening iron. Church is an important aspect of the Christian walk. It's not just something that preachers guilt you into. Do you understand? It's not. Uh, because it's quite honestly, if I can be just very blunt, it's no skin off my nose if you never come. Right? I understand if everybody quit coming, then I'd be looking for a job. I know that. But that's not, I don't, you know, that, that's not the reason you should be coming. So it, this just becomes very important. Once, we're, once we realize this is us, we're vexed out there in the world, we need the refreshment to continue. Otherwise, we become lot and we lose our families and we, you know, we have great consequences with it. What are you going to say, Brooke? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, drawing nigh to the Lord. So there's a lot to be learned from Lot, but I just always thought, I wonder how Baptist preachers might have preached about Lot, apart from that verse. So now I'm kind of, I'm going to just skip around a little bit because I, I have to go back to that other slide. So um, Abram, not yet Abraham in the scripture, we have the promise given to Abram here in Genesis chapter 12. This is a huge promise. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I, I love the way God says this, too, because you know, God says, Just go, and I'll show you on the way. He doesn't say, Go here, like most of us guys. It's like, Okay, Lord, give me a map, and I can get there. He just says, Just go. You just go, and I'll I'll show you when you get there. And, of course, you, you know that... Uh, Abram really never gets to settle. Uh, so, But that's not the promise. That's just God giving him that command. But then we get to chapter or to verse 2, and it says, it's the beginning of the promise. I will make of thee a great nation. Has God done this for Abram? Okay. God's faithful. He fulfills his promise. And I will bless thee. Has God done that for Abram? Absolutely. And make thy name great. Has God done that for Abram? Abraham. Yes, he has. And then he says this, And thou shalt be a blessing. That's the other way around. God says, I'll bless you, and then you will be a blessing. Has that been accomplished? Well, we'll show you in the next verse how for sure it has been accomplished, and you'll see that. And, that, and by the way, the next verse has been since the very beginning of our nation a cornerstone of our of our um, foreign policy. It has been. 
Even before Israel became a nation, we have always, as a nation, because we have been a nation founded upon biblical principles, this has been a cornerstone. Look what the Bible says. God says, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And that has been a cornerstone of our foreign policy. We're watching that cornerstone being chiseled away right now. So if America becomes a nation that curses Israel, then what can we expect from God? I will bless them that bless thee. And when does this end? It doesn't. This is God's promise to Abraham and to his descendants. I will bless them that bless... Now, you know, what's amazing about this is it's not like as long as... Abraham, as long as your descendants are doing right, it doesn't really even say that, right? It just simply says, Abraham, I'm going to make you of you a great nation, and I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse. This is God's promise. And so our nation has, I mean, I I can't tell you how many times as a kid, as a kid who wasn't even a believer, heard politicians basically quote this verse in reference to Israel. Because as long as I've been alive, and basically as long as all of you have been alive, um, Israel has been a nation, so we've, it's been our foreign policy about the nation of Israel. Prior to that, it was just about the, the people of Israel, about the Jewish people. But, uh, you know, definitely our policy about the nation of Israel, and it's all based right there. But he goes on to say this, And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Has that happened? How did that happen? Salvation through Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ. You, you know Jesus was a Jew, right? And so, uh, salvation has come through Abraham. And all of the nations, of the, of the families of the earth, have been blessed. So God's keeping his promise, for sure. This is, this is the God that we have. He's a promise-keeping God. And uh, so this is the unconditional promise that God gives to Abraham. And he'll repeat this uh, promise uh, throughout the scripture. I think the last time is in Galatians, uh, where it's mentioned. Uh, but God keeps his promise to uh, Abraham. Now we'll go back um, and look at the other. The, I got that one out of order, so sorry. In Genesis 13, uh, God's blessings begin. So in Genesis 13, he divides the land with Lot. We looked, about, we looked at that last week, right? As, as they're standing there and Abraham literally says, Lot, pick a direction, I'll go the other way, and uh, we'll, we'll not get into a fight over who gets what. And Lot chose the well-watered plains and uh, pitched his tent towards Sodom. And and so that happens. But in chapter 14, there's an interesting story. We all know chapter 19's story where uh, God rescues Lot and his two daughters and potentially his wife uh, from the destruction in Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife looks back, turns into a pillar of salt. We We know chapter 19 pretty well. That's the one we're very familiar with. But in chapter 14, not only does... So here he divides the land with Lot. In chapter 19, he intercedes for Lot. But in chapter 14, Abraham rescues Lot. And in so doing, he rescues, believe it or not, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, it does not mean that Abraham is defending 
their lifestyle. Do you understand? And we're going to look at this. But he does rescue. Were you raising your hand, Tim? Were you raising your hand? I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, so, but he's, you know, so he's going to step in and rescue Lot, and in so doing, he's going to rescue Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're going to look at that uh, as we look at chapter 14. And we're going to kind of walk ourselves through chapter 14 quickly. We're not going to look at every single verse. Uh, verses 1 and 2, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah are attacked. And uh, in the so doing, in verse 12, they took Lot. Uh, and in verse 13, this is an interesting thing, Abraham is called a Hebrew. That's the first use of the word Hebrew in the scripture is in Genesis chapter 14, and it's referred to Abraham. What does, what is, whenever we say the word Hebrew, what do you think of? If, some, if someone is a Hebrew, what do we say? What do, what do you think? They're Jewish. Right? If we said somebody was a Hebrew, we would think they're Jewish, and I, and that is the way it's used. It's used that way in the scripture, not just here, but I'm going to tell you something. This actually goes back two generations before Abraham, because the word Hebrew means a descendant of Eber, Abraham's grandfather. So that's what the word Hebrew means, that God uses it to describe, and it's not just, he, he's, he's called a Hebrew, because it's actually in the verse, you'll read it in a little bit, but it's, he's called the Hebrew. Abram, the Hebrew. Uh, and then there were confederates that were with Abram. Uh, he's not, when we say confederates, there's, there's people that are working with Abram, right? So uh, there's kings. There's the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah. Uh, they're attacked. And Abram has some friends that he has made league with, again, there's no indication that these other kings are righteous, godly kings. This is just political affiliation, uh, as you'll see in just a moment as we kind of uh, look through this. So that's the one that was out of order. So that brings us to chapter 14. And let's kind of walk ourselves through this. It says, And there came one that escaped and told Abram the, there it is, the Hebrew, uh, for he dwelt in the land, in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. So uh, these other guys are there helping out Abram. You'll see that in just a little bit. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants. There were like 300 and some. If you read the passage, you'll, God gives you the exact number. But Abraham takes, uh, I'm going to call him Abraham because I just can't keep calling him Abram. I, it just doesn't. Abraham flows out. So anyway, uh, he's still Abram, but Abraham uh, just, he takes 300 plus of his servants, his men there, he arms them, and that's his army, and he joins league with these other people, and I don't know how many uh, they had in their army, but they, they become an army of themselves, and he divided themselves against them, and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them into Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus, and look what it says, and he brought back all the goods... And also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So, uh, you know, they'd, they'd attacked Sodom and Gomorrah and they had taken stuff and people captive, right? Men, women, apparently, or probably children, it doesn't list them, it says just men, women, and, and people, and goods. Uh, and so they come in and, and Abraham brings them all back, right? 
In verse 21 to 24, the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons. I'm going to use this verse to show you that Abraham was not defending the lifestyle of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was defending Lot. That was his motivation. That's what he was going after. Uh, so he wasn't coming to the defense of these other of these people necessarily, but in order to rescue Lot, he had to rescue virtually all these other people. Give me the persons. So the king of Sodom says, give me the people, the people that were all taken captive. Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And look what Abraham says. This is important because notice Abraham is not about the stuff. He says, and Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God. In other words, I have promised God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Then he goes on to say, save only that which the young men have eaten. In other words, I can't give you the food back that everybody's eaten, right? Uh, the soldiers have eaten. And the portion of the men which went with me. Who are they? Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. He says, I'm not speaking for them. I'm speaking for myself. As far as for me, we're taking nothing. Now, if these guys want to take some of the spoil, that's between you and them. You see, Abraham is removing himself from the politics of this. He's like, I'm, I'm here for one reason and one reason only, to get my, my nephew back. That's what he's there for. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your praise. God's going to take care of me. I'm not going to let you steal God's praise. And he said, you can work this out with these other guys. This is what I've done. And, and, uh, and God's going to bless, and you're going to see this. God, there's something that happens next that is proof that God is stepping in to put a blessing even on Abraham here as he's going and fighting for Sodom and Gomorrah. It's an amazing concept, you know, that he's, he's out there fighting for Sodom and Gomorrah, but of course he's really fighting for uh, his nephew Lot. And uh, so, but here in this same chapter, Abraham meets somebody else, Melchizedek. Ever heard of that name? That name is used 11 times in the scripture, twice uh, in the Old Testament, and nine times in the New Testament. It's used here in, in Genesis 14. It's used in Psalms. And the rest of the time, it's in the New Testament. And by the way, if you're trying to find it in the New Testament, just so you know, it's spelled differently. It's spelled C-H-I-S-E-D-E-C. -E -E so it's, instead of a Z, it's an S. And instead of a K, it's a C, uh, if you have to find it. But it's the same person, and we can show you that in just a moment. So, it says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, he already talked about that meeting. And then verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was, look what it says, he was the what? The priest of the Most High. Now, what has not been given to mankind yet? Think Moses, the law. Guess, guess who's not been born yet? Think priesthood. Well, Jesus, that's true, but Aaron. Aaron and the Le Levitical priesthood, it doesn't exist yet. 
and yet Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God. That's going to be important. You're going to see the importance of that in the New Testament. It says, Now he, that's Melchizedek, blessed him, that's Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. So Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, steps in and blesses Abraham. God is blessing Abraham yet again. Chapter 12, God makes his promise to bless. Chapter 14, the the priest of the Most High God steps in and uh, blesses Abram. In the end of verse 20, it says, And he gave him tithes of all. Now please notice this. He is, Abram gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. And, you know, it, it may be difficult in our English grammar to figure out who the he and him are there, but we can prove it to you from the New Testament. I'll show you that in just a second here. So uh, let's real quickly, just because it's, come up, and you know, if you know me at all, you've been here for very long, you've probably never heard me preach on money, but let's talk about tithing for just a moment, all right? Um, Why do we tithe? Why do we tithe? Okay, to give back what God has given us. Help the church. Worship. Obedience. I'm not arguing with any of these, right? Okay, I'm just, I'm just letting you, you know, this is just the way I teach. It's just to get you to think. Go ahead, Tim. Okay, so that, multiple examples throughout the scripture. Now let me ask you another question. Why do we tithe if we're not under the law anymore? Okay. Ah, I want you to catch this. Tithing, yes, it was in the law, but tithing supersedes the law. It was before the law, and it still is out. It is the same with, in Genesis chapter 9, God said to Noah, if man takes another man's life, by man shall that man's life be taken, Right? And uh, God establishes what we commonly call capital punishment. Which, yes, capital punishment is included in the law, but it was before the law, and it exists after the law. It's not, it's not, it it supersedes the law. Uh, There are things that supersede the law. Just like, just like uh, having a day set aside to worship was well, well before the law, right? God even in the law, uses the, the example. Because I, because I created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh, you need to do the same. right? And, and so it supersedes the law. And so here we are with tithing. I want to get you to stop and think about this. Right? God doesn't need our money. He doesn't. If you don't want to tithe, keep it. Just keep it. God doesn't need your money. The church is not going to go broke if you quit tithing because it's not your church. It's not my church. It's God's church. He's going to take care of it. Right? The gates of hell can't prevail against it. I don't think that our tithe is going to tear it down. 
you know, or a lack thereof. That's not the way this works. The reason we tithe is because it's the right thing to do, and we love God, right? It's part of worship. It's that worship concept. And it is obedience, and it is keeping, you know, that God uses it to take care of the church and all those things. But, but quite honestly, God doesn't need our tithe to make those things happen. That's just not, that's not the case. God has never one time sat in heaven and wondered how in the world the church is going to pay its light bill. He's never wondered that. You, you understand? He doesn't, that's not, that's not the God that we have. So, uh, you know, keep it if it really means that much to you. You're just missing out on the blessings that God has to give. So that's a separate, that's just a little aside, throw that in there. I know they're small. I'm just trying to, you know, put all of this. So uh, this is about Melchizedek. Every verse that, uh, names the name of Melchizedek is on this slide. The next slide we're going to look at is about Melchizedek. doesn't necessarily every verse have his name, but this is every verse that names the name. There's two of them from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 14. We already read that. Melchizedek brought bread, and he's about to bless Abram. In Psalm 110, verse 4, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, you know, he brings up a thou art after the order of Melchizedek. Who's the thou art? Who's the priest that is after the order of Melchizedek? Christ, the Messiah. You'll see that as we move into the New Testament now. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5. As he has said also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Notice the spelling is different, but after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, and he's, this is referencing Christ as we get into Hebrews chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 10. God called, uh, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 6 says, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Lest you not understand that it's Jesus we're talking about. Let me make it very plain, right? Even Jesus made forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's important, by the way, that we distinguish between the priesthood of Melchizedek and the priesthood of Levi, of Aaron. Because Aaron... I want to be careful how I say this. Okay, but Aaron is man-made. Now he's not, right? God's the one that established the priesthood, the, the the priesthood of Levi. But you know, it was an established thing that man had a hand in establishing. God said, "Let's show you how to do this. Put this robe on Aaron. Uh, put these stones on Aaron's breastplate." And and man, but with Melchizedek. It's like, oh, here's Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. That's how he's introduced, uh, because man had no part in that. Uh, we'll, we'll show you how this all ties together in just a minute. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. That's that same Melchizedek, verse 10 of chapter 7. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, Interestingly enough, what he's saying here, and we're, not, we're jumping into the middle of it, but God says, even Levi, the priest, paid tithes to Melchizedek. And you say, wait a minute, they didn't exist at the same time. Well, at least they, didn't, they weren't recorded 
in existence at the same time. And uh, he, 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 listen to what he says. For he was yet in the loins of his father. Just as surely as you and I sinned because Adam sinned, and we were in the loins of Adam, then when, when Abraham paid tithes, he was already making the, the, the Levitical priesthood subservient to the, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Do you see this? They were already paying tithes. He goes on to explain this. For if, uh, if therefore, perfection were in the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? If, if the law, remember in Hebrews, this is his argument again and again in Hebrews. If the law could save us, then we'd just stay under the law. We'd still be there. The law could never save us. That was the point. And the Levitical priesthood had its problems in that, you know, it was part of this law and it was, it was a picture of. And so the, a greater priesthood uh, was important. Uh, so it says, should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. Chapter 7, verse 15. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's the fourth time we've seen that in reference to Christ. Uh, three times in Hebrews and once there in, in, um, in Psalms. And then verse 21, For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, those priests were established by, by the law, by you. But God established this priesthood of Melchizedek. Now, then that brings up the question. I'm, I'm running out of time here, so you tell me. What have you heard over the years? Who is Melchizedek? A pre-incarnate Jesus. As best we can describe it, he's that Christophany that shows up in the Old Testament. Um, and it literally is, you know, the priesthood of Christ himself, uh, the pre now, let me show you this. Here it is in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Let me read to you about Melchizedek. So this is Melchizedek, king of Salem. Preached the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So he's given three titles there. That's what's Melchizedek. Now look at verse 3. Without father, without mother, without descent, in other words, without children, uh, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now let me ask you again, who is Melchizedek? You're right. He could just be a type and not a Christophany. You got to do. You got to figure out how he has no father, no mother. Some would say, well, it's not recorded. Without descent, having neither beginning or end of life. There's a lot of things there. But either way, he is representative of a priesthood that goes beyond 
what the law was able to establish. Our salvation is not founded in the law. And the Levitical priesthood, that's not it. It's not founded in the Levitical priesthood. That's part of the law. If we're counting on the law to save us, we're in trouble, right? The law was never given to save us. It was given to teach us. So that it showed us, proved to us that we needed help. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham. In other words, somebody that they're not related to physically. Uh, Abraham was paying tithes and blessed them. And look at verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Melchizedek is the better. Christ is the better. Do you remember, by the way, that song that we sing, Jesus is better? It's all found in Hebrews. If you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see this phrase often. This is the better. If this is what it was. It's a picture of the better. It's a picture of the better. And Jesus is better. And so anyway, that's, so now we've had, in this study, uh, we've looked at Abraham, which we're not finished looking at. We have not even gotten to the crucible of Abraham uh, in Romans chapter 4, right? We're really, so we haven't gotten there yet, but uh, we've seen Abraham, we've seen Lot, uh, we've seen Melchizedek tonight, uh, three more to add to our list of people who have spanned the Testaments. Uh, and so we'll come back and look at this uh, next week. Don't forget, please, we have a ton of things we just shared with you about prayer, so if you would, uh, uh, when you're praying, pray for those things. I understand that, yes. I understand that, yep. Sure. I mean, uh, what they are are sinners, right? <laughs> That's what we all are. So, uh, so we should love them just, here's what we're supposed to do. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us, right? That's the way, that's our approach to the, to the lost and dying world. The, the concept of the vexed soul, to me, the, the greatest lesson is we need the presence of God. That's what we need in a very unique way, just to survive being vexed day in and day out, right? Just to survive the vexing, uh, lest our, our lives turn out like Lot, all right? So you've got about four minutes if you uh, divide up into prayer groups and then uh, dismiss yourselves. <laughs>